Dead or alive, you are coming with me. What is this bullshit? Good trash genre cat. I love you. I know. Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Undercast, where people gather around a table. We talk about films, and I'm trying to be really excited because we're talking about Aeon Flux this week, and I have a bad case of the flux right now. I feel very, very <laughs> sick, and uh, but we're going to do it anyway. You need a flux capacitor. I do. Wait, you feel sick? I, I feel sick having watched this film. Okay, cool. Just making sure. Because yeah. uh, there's a flu epidemic on, and you could have canceled. You didn't have to come into my home and reject <laughs> everything. Kill us he all. He has been walking around licking the walls, so you should be God prepared. Damn it. I was wondering why he was doing that. <laughs> He's trying to contain. Well, this is you. an old apartment. I was hoping for the lead paint, and I would <laughs> die before I had to talk about Aeon Flux. I would not be surprised. Yeah, so uh, we're going to do that thing because we do the thing that we do, which is we talk about the films that will never find their way into a film stays course. Aeon Flux being a prime example of just that. Correct. So uh, let's introduce ourselves. The dear listener knows who is speaking to them. Who are you? My name is Dalton Stewart, and guys, uh, I'm very excited to announce here on the show that I now have hands for feet. Excellent. Um, well, you always had. Sir, who are you? I am Arthur Gordon, and I like my shoes. <laughs> My name's Dustin Sells, and I'd stay off the grass. And uh, here we are. We all referenced the same sequence of the movie, because it's probably <laughs> the best sequence of the film. Uh, best is strong. It, I mean, it's gone. Well, it is, um, it's a comparative. It's a relative statement. So. It, uh, okay, we should get into this. There's, oh. a lot to, there's a lot to talk about. All right, is there? It, it, well, I think so. We'll I think we'll find it. We'll see. <laughs> so here we are tuning in. Uh, if you are tuning in for the first time to the Good Trash genre cast, tuning in like you're on your ham radio listening to this somewhere in your basement after the apocalypse. Um, I mean, that might be the only way to catch this show uh, within the next 10 years is uh, on ham radio. <laughs> the internet might be dead. Uh, who knows? But uh, if you are tuning in for the first time, um, what we do here is a analysis show, not a review show. And that means that we will be spoiling the film as if you'd care. And uh, But we'll try to avoid doing that for the first couple thirds of the show. So what we'll do is a synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema, which obviously will be spoiler-free. We'll have our thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews, spoiler-free as well. Then we'll play a game, which will be spoiler-ish, perhaps, but probably not, uh, especially considering the speculative nature of this week's game. Then we will move on into our analysis, and then all spoiler bets are off, um, although maybe we can get speculative about spoilers of a better movie um, in so much much as we might make up a better movie. Rosebud. Rosebud. Um, turns out it is Severus Snape. So, there you go, dear listener. You have been warned. Without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice of the cinema. Let's hear that synopsis, please. Eon Flux is a mysterious assassin working for the Monikins, a group of rebels trying to overthrow the government. When she is sent on a mission to kill the chairman, a whole new mystery is found. She works for the Morlocks, right? And it's not the chairman. It's the time travel chair. Monikins. Now, this is a cult that was birthed out of a really heavy fandom for Monica from Friends, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I thought it was Monica Lewinsky. I'm so confused. Oh, okay. 
Oh yeah, Monikins. Uh, never. We don't really ever get any explanation on why they call themselves that. Yeah, hopefully or why, it's a TV show. Why they're just throwing that name around all the time? You'd think if you're a secret society trying to overthrow the government, you wouldn't want the government to know what you call yourself. Well, they went out in a theological debate against the, Dom- the Dominicans. Is what ended up <laughs> happening. You know, the Jesuits don't even exist anymore. Oh, is that right? No. No. <laughs> Gosh. Okay, well, there's your synopsis. Let's talk about this movie. Arthur, did you like it? Thumbs up, thumbs down, and why? I did not like it. It is. Oh, man. Uh, I, I will say a couple positives for it first. Uh, it looks great. It's visually beautiful. It's a really fun world that is created. I think it looks very interesting. Uh, set design, production design, all that stuff is on point. Um, and Karen Kasama has a really good eye, I think, for action and, and putting all this stuff together. Uh and I think that uh, what else was going to say good about it? Uh, I did have one more thing. Uh, I, I think it does have some interesting ideas at work. I, I think there are at at the base level some really interesting ideas going on. We've seen some of them explored in other sci-fi, of course, but I, I think there was a unique precedent here that that could have been turned into a very interesting sci-fi film. However, um, <laughs> however. <laughs> As things go with Hollywood sometimes, the studio gets involved and they make the movie they think should be made and uh, it just doesn't work out. And so this is just bizarre. The script's bad. Some of the dialogue's really rough. You think studios would have figured out by now that eight times out of ten when they stick their nose into the movie, it usually gets worse. Yeah. When they they start trying to guide the, the, the painter's hands... Shit gets messed up. Yeah, and, and I guess legend goes that they did realize that what they had done was terrible from test audiences, and so they had Karen Kasama come back, and uh, she couldn't salvage it because they still put her on a leash. And so uh, it, it hinders the film. I think it's just sloppy. It's boring. It's forgettable. It's not interesting when it should be very interesting and uh, just kind of lacks heart. Uh, Charlize Theron is fun. Like I, I love Charlize. I love her in action stuff because she's great. She's great at anything she does. She can do drama. She can do comedy. She can do action. She's so well-rounded. Um, and so it's fun to see her lead a movie, especially this early in her career. Uh, this is 2005, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she really... I don't know, had taken off. I can't remember when Monster comes out. Around the same time. but uh, I, I, within, within two years yeah. on either side. I can't remember when Monster came out. And so it's great to see her leading something, you know, this early in her career, I feel like. Um, she, does, she does a good job with what she's given, I think. And the rest of the cast is filled with kind of character, oh, I know that guy type of actors that you've seen elsewhere. And everybody has, a, I think, a good moment here or there. But uh, for the most part, this is a really forgettable film. And I think that's why it's kind of slipped out of the cultural consciousness. Well, there you go. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you say, Dalton Stewart? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Aeon Flux, go. Uh, look, here is when I knew this movie was not going to pan out. When Justin Thoreau shows up all gothified for literally 30 seconds and is never seen again. And that's just a shame. Um, there's no way that Justin Thoreau did not have lines in this movie at some point. And that's, as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, that's not good. But even earlier than that, you have your first signs. This movie opens uh, uh, with an exposition dump via text and voiceover. So you get a text crawl and then a VO exposition dump. Never a good sign for any movie. It's not good. You let that stuff come out in the narrative. You don't need to front load it so heavily. Um, and, and those, it's just it's it sets itself off on a bad foot, and it has a really hard time recovering. And I don't think it ever does. Um, I, I like Shirley's in this. I, I will say that 
she has like an intentionally flat affect, you know, generic action assassin affect that doesn't that doesn't work. And I think, I mean, there's a definitely seems like an intent to modulate the performances and try to give it that, you know, because this is based off in a, uh, I was going to call it an anime, but it is an American production that you know visually references anime, uh, but based on the MTV show Aeon Flux, um, and, and I think that's maybe what uh, the film's going for. Right is trying to hype that kind of stilted voiceover performance on purpose. I think they're trying to go for that. I don't think it works very well, and it really hinders the character. Uh, and we get a lot of inner life stuff too that should make us more invested in her her character. And I don't know that it works. Uh, Martin Costa—I don't know how to say his last name—but who plays the the second lead? Poor uh, man's Clive Owen. Go. Yeah, uh, who very rarely is not. Uh, playing a Russian guy, uh, which is very funny because he's from New Zealand, uh, but usually plays Russian gangsters is what yeah, I've seen him mostly do. He's fine. I mean, I don't know. I think his performance is going for the same thing as an intentionally kind of st- stilted thing, but that doesn't really work. Uh, what does work? As Arthur said, the production design, the costume design all looks fantastic. Uh, there's a, This film's got a really great color palette that I really appreciate. Uh, the future tech on display is really fun. Uh, you know, it's uh, the famously and oft said that uh, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Uh, and we get a little bit of that here. You know, we've, we've got uh, pills that uh, uh, rewire your brain and allow you to do telepathic communication, which is fun. We've got plants that are bioengineered to, you know, be machine guns and stuff. I mean, there's all kinds of wacky stuff. Um, that is really fun and interesting. Uh, and as Arthur said, there are themes and ideas at work under the hood that I, I appreciate. And I'm really interested in, you know, these ideas of um, how we define ourselves, um, what is the, the purpose of protecting each other, you know, things like that. And I, I find those to be interesting uh, questions of when when does revolution become necessary and how best is that carried out? You know, think, things that we enjoy talking about on this show. Um, so there, there's some stuff there that works, but even as an action movie, it doesn't. It's not it, – the action feels – and we were talking about this off air. It feels like Karen Kusama shot R-rated action scenes and got told she had to cut them into PG-13 action scenes because there's moments where hits feel like the camera cuts at weird times. So it's like did was there like a big juicy bloody squib after that guy got punched in the face that they had to get rid of or something? Like what happened? Uh, and it's very unclear, uh, and it does feel like the action scenes might have been even longer, and, like, there's fights that she was forced to cut uh, stunts out of. Um, did you guys ever get that feeling watching the fight choreography in this film? Because I got that feeling frequently. Yeah, I think so, yeah. That it felt like the fight had been cut in half. Right. Um, and, and, again, that happens throughout this film. There's scenes that really feel like they need more room to breathe. There's scenes that it feels like we're missing. Uh, there's again, Justin Thoreau is in this movie. Justin Thoreau was, you know, had already been in Mulholland Drive at this point in his career. He was not like a working actor. Not nobody, no, no. So it would be weird to have him unless he's just friends with Karen Kusama and it just wanted to show up for a day to hang out. Uh, it's weird that he's here and doesn't have any lines. And again, I'm fixating on him because I like Justin Thoreau. But there's all kinds of moments in character. Francis McDormand uh, has two scenes. Pete Postlethwaite has two scenes. Like, there's a lot of actors in this movie that don't get anything to do, and it's unclear if it's because the film got cut up by the studio or if the script just wasn't really that strong and just, you know, the script was the the thing that introduced these characters willy-nilly without telling us anything about them. But for a film like this, I really feel like it could have – the cast or the story needed to be either 
condensed or given more room to breathe. And in either case, neither of those things happened. Um, it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination, I don't think. It, I would hardly say it's, you know, incompetently made. I mean, Karen Kuzama knows what she's doing. As Arthur mentioned, it's a very visually good film. Like, it's enjoyable to look at. Um, but there's just so much that doesn't work. And I, try, I tried really hard to like this. I really did. I tried very early in the film to, like, modulate my expectations and go, all right, well, this is clearly something that's not a complete success. So let's go ahead and appreciate it through that lens. And that made it easier for me to to let the film kind of wash over me. But there were still times where e- even with modulated expectations, I was like, oh, this film should, is uh, this this film is better than what's happening on screen right now, and that that was for me the real frustration. All righty, well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Uh, my opinions of the hunger of the children of Re- Reloaded Men is uh, that it's you know so many better movies that I could be watching uh, for the mm-hmm. most part. And as you guys say, it does have a good visual style. Um, there's a lot of good stuff that I think is being brought back from uh, the animated series. Have you seen it? I've seen the episodes. Okay, so I have not. Uh, yeah, it's good stuff. And I'm like, and Arthur mentioned that um, in the bargain bins at Walmart, it's uh, available right now for a very very low price. So. So, uh, yeah, it's only like 10 episodes, 20 episodes. Yeah, I think there's some shorts, and then there's like a run of 10 episodes. Gotcha. From what yeah. I could gather. And I'm definitely into checking that thing out. And uh, and so some of that experimental sort of visual style is there. Um, it is overwhelmingly silent in the uh, TV series and uh, telling the story visually, which the film just refuses to do. And, uh, yeah, it's just a big clunky, chunky mess, and it's just not any fun. And... I just get bored, 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 yeah. bored uh, with the whole thing. Yeah. And I really don't know if I can really say anything more about it than that. It's just it's boring. If you're an inspiring writer or filmmaker or author, um, show, don't tell. Yeah, generally speaking. Yeah. Uh, it just it doesn't work. It doesn't work. There's, mm-hmm. not, there's not a clean way to do it. I, I understand the impulse yeah. to show. I, I understand the impulse to be like, I don't know how to tell this. Especially if you have to build or a I world. I, I, I don't know show. how to show this, rather. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right, Arthur, especially if there's world building involved. It is hard to figure out how to navigate that. But yeah. there are films that do it, and those films are better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately. So that's all I got to say. It's boring, and I, ugh, mm, I'm, I'm halfway mad. I'm talking about it. <laughs> no, no, no. Time spent talking about films a waste. This is true, and uh, you will prove the point for me. I hope here in just a little bit. So there you go, dear listener. Those are our biases. They are decidedly con. Um, Dalton, we're going to have a conversation, but we want our listeners to have a conversation with us too. Tell us how they can do that. I will tell the listener how they can have a conversation with us. Um, that's my job now. Uh, the first and easiest way to do that's probably on Twitter. That's at uh, good underscore trash. Uh, that's the best way to shoot us a message. Uh, the DMs are open, but you can add us. It's whatever you want. Uh, we're, we don't, we're not picky. Uh, but if you want to give us some feedback on the show, some uh, things you want to discuss, questions you have about how we do things, uh, let us know. That's good at uh, – good at – and that's not how it works. It's at good underscore trash. That's how it's done. Uh, so you can find us over there on Twitter. Um, all things are available to your ears there. Uh, we've got some uh, Praise Down stuff over there. You know, that's the the show that our good friends Heath and Alex do about Christian music. Um, whatever you want to know about us, uh, you can find it on Twitter at good underscore trash. Uh, if you're interested in some longer form feedback, you can hit us, uh, shoot us an email. That's a good trash genre cast at gmail.com. A lot of G's in there. Uh, mm-hmm. Lots of alliteration, so enjoy that. That's the best way to give us long-form feedback. Uh, you can also find us uh, on Facebook. We're not really there that often. 
but that is uh, facebook.com forward slash GTM. Um, you can find everything we do, create and post, over at goodtrashmedia.com, and you can put that this show in your ears over there or on your preferred uh, podcasting platform. And finally, if you are interested in helping keep the wheels running on this, you can go on over to patreon.com forward slash GTM for Good Trash Media and uh, check out what the rewards are. Check out what we intend to do with the money you give us, things like that. You can find some delicious Patreon uh, bonus content if you give us some money. And uh, we do want to thank a couple of recent Patreon supporters that have pledged. Uh, Evan Jarvix, uh, who has recently pledged to support Good Trash and the Praise Down. And also uh, Brigham has uh, become a Patreon sponsor for Good Trash. And so we thank you, gentlemen, uh, for your support. And it is kindly appreciated. Thank you, you sweet, sweet boys. Uh, if you want uh, to spread the word about this show, just go talk to somebody. You don't need to get online. Um, this is not, we don't advertise. I mean, they'll have to get online to get the show. Yeah, you will have to get online to get the show. But you don't, don't have to. Don't lie to them. Yeah, that's fair. Don't, the, the ham radio still works. No, we don't have that uh, up and running yet. We're gonna oh, be... man, really? Yeah, no, we, there's no pirate radio apparatus. I was going to talk about dead Ooh, if the, the world. Ooh, if, if, is if, that frequency? Yeah. Is that a frequency reference? <laughs> weird, call, weird pull. That sounds like a movie we should do for the good trash. Fuck, okay. we should. It's, it's, yeah. Oh, man, that'd be fun. Fathers and Sons Marathon. Yeah, we do a lot of those, don't we? Uh, yeah, so, look, you don't have to look. <laughs> social media is hard. I, I, I've, the Internet's been a real unpleasant place this week. It's just bumming me out, and I can't handle it. Um, so you don't, you don't need to go to Twitter. If you want to tell people about this, just go talk to somebody. Uh, tell your friends. If you enjoy this show, if you've got people in your life who like film and you think they would glean something from what we're doing here, let them know. Let them know what we're about, and uh, maybe we, you'll uh, find us a, a new fan. Because uh, that's what we, we do. We, we do this because we uh, enjoy putting this out for other people to listen to. So uh, do your best to spread the word and uh, let your friends know. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dollar Stewart. I think without any further ado, it is now time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> And we're back with a game that everybody plays and nobody ever wins. That's right. Uh, movie game time. This week's game is Directors We'd Like to See Make an Action Film. That's right. Directors We'd Like to See Make an Action Film. Brought to you by Aeon Flux. Aeon Flux. This is technically both a film and an action film. Made by a director. Yeah, those and all, a studio. Uh, those things happened. Uh, there were all yeah. of those things present in the... Um, Assembly at the drawing room. This meets all basic criteria for, for a being film. a film. I suppose so. So, well, all right. Without any further ado, Arthur, what is your first selection? Going around the table, I think you need somebody that has visual style down, that has a great eye, has a keen sense for color and things like that. And so, I want to go first with Anna Lily Amarfor. Hell yeah! Um, okay, nice pick. Bad Batch and Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. She's just got a great visual eye, and I think she could do some really interesting stuff with action and putting together set pieces and uh, design and drawing out certain elements from a world uh, that would look really cool. And I think uh, let's give her a shot. Let's do it. I'm all in. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What's your first selection, Mr. Dalton Stewart? My first selection is a director that uh, just uh, came to my um, notice at the end of last year. She's been around for quite a while, but uh, I've, I've been sleeping on uh, catching up with her work. And, uh, well, I'm glad that I didn't continue to do that. It is uh, <laughs> Mudbound's D. Reese, uh, which I'm sure is not surprising to anybody at this table. It's, she's basically all of our new favorite director. 
Um, she's great. Uh, Mudbound's great. There are a couple of brief moments of action um, in Mudbound, and I think she really sells the intensity and the suspense in those moments. And every time there's a, an action beat in Mudbound, you think, oh, man, I kind of want to see her just do more of this. Um, because, she, again, we're talking about directors with a, an eye for color and an eye for uh, geography and stakes. Uh, I really feel like that she is somebody that could really lead an action franchise. I now want D. Reese's Infinity War yeah, to be a thing. Oh, yeah. Well, and we're going to talk more about uh, television directors here in a little bit. But, I mean, that's studios more and more are pulling from the deep wealth of talent working in television. Uh, I mean, the Russo brothers uh, who are making Infinity War, they cut their teeth on fucking community. Yep. I mean, that's that's yeah. wild to think about. Uh, so we'll talk more about TV directors here in a second. But my first pick uh, is going to be D. Reese. All right. Well, thank you very much for that. Um, my first pull comes from uh, the new French extremity, and that is uh, Claire Denis, um, a director of Trouble Every Day, mm-hmm. Bastards, and a couple other films. And she does some – she adventures into erotic thrillers and those kind of things here and there. But she's got a great eye. She's got a great visual style. She's um, somebody I talk about a lot as far as being a very, very talented uh, filmmaker. And I would love to see her – uh, apply her skills to a big Hollywood action film. I think it'd be a lot of fun, and I recommend her entire catalog right here, right now. So Claire Denis is my first selection. Going back to you, Arthur, what is your number next? Spike Jones. Real Okay. Nice. Yeah. Okay. I think this is a, a, a cat that can really, uh, again, the visual thing is there. Mm-hmm. I think he's got a great eye. But also, I mean, he can bring a lot of uh, substance to a piece, I think. I think he could explore some really heavy themes. Uh, I think he can give you the eye candy uh, while also giving you uh, the healthy nutrients you need from a story. Uh, I think he could marry those two. And I think he's got a great mind for comedy. Um, especially thinking of being John Malkovich. Uh, there's a sequence with a monkey uh, that's quite pleasant. Yes, and there so, is. Yes, you know, there is. Something quirky like, uh, you know, I, I, I really wish we could have gotten Edgar Wright's Ant-Man, but I think uh, Spike Jones's Ant-Man could have been fun. Well, and I think, he, you know, he doesn't do it so much in his films, but uh, back in his music video days, I mean, he's yeah. got an eye for cutting, you know, you know, quick cuts and, yeah. you know, fun, like, run, car chases. I mean, that sabotage music video yeah. that he did is is full of you see the dna of, of a cop movie uh, yeah. i mean obviously it's a parody but i mean the form he knows the form yeah so yeah i think that's a great but pick. I, yeah i think he'd uh, i think he could do some really fun stuff in the action genre excellent i like that pick very very much mr dalton stewart number next my number next is a director who has been getting their name thrown around a bunch uh for uh marvel movies and all kinds of stuff like that uh, really a director who it's only a matter of time before they take the reins on something big. Uh, and that is because she is one of the best directors around, uh, but she's just making TV. And that's Michelle McLaren, uh, mm. best known right now probably for her work on uh, uh, Game of Thrones and Westworld. But she's uh, also directed some amazing episodes of Breaking Bad. I mean, she has directed some of the best episodes of some of the best television shows of the last 10 years. Uh, just really... Uh, has an eye for action. I mean, that's that's what she shoots is action. I mean, there is no beating around the bush on it. Um, just really spectacular uh, in terms of what she is able to do in an hour 
on a TV budget. And I, I really think, I mean, her name was getting passed around a lot, uh, I think, when uh, Wonder Woman was in production. Um, before they signed directors to the Captain Marvel movie, her name was getting tossed around. So it's only a matter of time. It is going to happen. Um, it's just hopefully she picks a, the right project. And I would like to see her do something more along the lines of a smaller action movie than a big tentpole action movie. I really think she'll get to spread her wings a little bit more than if she's working uh, for you know Disney or you know Warner Brothers uh, on one of those properties. I, I would like to see her make her own um, well, I mean, Aeon Flux, honestly, something, even Aeon Flux, while an adaptation of something, is a small film. It wasn't a big movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the budget was that big. I have no idea. I, 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 it doesn't show. It doesn't show, no. I mean, but, and again, credit to where credit is due while we're talking about it. I think Karen Kasama does a lot with what money she has, but I think there are a lot of times where you can see the constraints of the budget. Mm-hmm. But I think when there's less money on the table, I think directors are able to keep the film theirs uh, a little bit more easily there's less chance of the studio getting involved but again i mean she works for hbo that's a that's a whole that's a big channel i mean that's that's a whole lot of uh, money they've got on the table so uh, she knows what to do with the budget uh, i think she's good at working within the, that system and uh, just consistently keeps making stuff for other people because you know that's that's how it works in television the, the director is kind of a hired gun and I, i'd like to see her get to kind of shepherd a project um, in a little bit more direct way in film. So that's my next pick is Michelle McLaren. All righty. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Don Stewart. Uh, my number next pick is a, a move backward for a direct, not a backward, a move back into action for a director who's normally working in large costume dramas. And that is Joe Wright. Hell yeah. I love Hannah Hell so yes. much. Yeah. And yeah. I would love to see him come back into the action. Good call. Um, and again, does it have to be necessarily part of a big franchise? Not no. necessarily, but I just I want more action out of Joe Wright. Hannah has some of my all time favorite fight scenes. It's so good. The yeah. the fight. Uh, Saoirse Ronan's got two that are really great. Eric Bana's got that one in the subway that's amazing. Yeah, I mean Joe Wright shot the hell out of that movie. Um, him and his DP just really. Uh, what a great film. So bring it back, Joe Wright. We'd like to see more of that action stuff. I mean, we like what you're doing with costume dramas, too. That's really beautiful stuff, but... I don't really care about Darkest Hour. I tried to make myself want to go see it, and I just... I, can't. Oh, I forget he does that he, one, yeah. Yeah, he did yeah. Darkest Hour. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Anna Karenina, I've, I've heard nothing but good things good. about. Yeah, I mean, and I, I like Atonement. But yeah, Hannah's just... You know, it's in my sweeps. We've got that Dust Brothers score mm-hmm. that, that just whips sack. It's so good. Ugh, I want it in my life. So, all right, there you go. All right, number last, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what is your pick? I'm going to say Ava DuVernay. Yeah, man. Uh, I know she's got A Wrinkle in Time coming out, but I want a full-on things-blowing-up set-pieces action film. And I thought about this almost instantly when I saw Selma because when she handled the way she handles the, uh, the bombing of Birmingham, mm-hmm. yeah. um, not, sh- the way she m- marries the tension and just the visual presentation of that sequence, it's 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 heartbreaking, yes, but also visually... Um, it just makes you think it's part of something like an action film, the way it's shot and the way it's all captured. Uh, and I think she could really apply that towards an all out action film and do some really interesting things and, and just craft it well together. And I think it would be something very interesting to watch. Well, and I think, I think what Ava brings to a project potentially like that is reminding you of, of the inherent, uh, tension and horror in a moment of action. Yeah. And, and I think that that's something she would really excel at. And it'd probably be something like a suspense action film, you know, something like that. But yeah. Yeah. I think uh, it'd be really good. I think, yeah, I think it would be amazing. 
All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Number last, Mr. Dalton Stewart. So my number last is, much like yours, is a, a pair of directors that I really want to step fully back into action. I, I called an audible. Uh, I, I was going to shout out Reed Morano, uh, who is the the executive producer of uh, one of the executive producers of Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. Uh, did like the first three episodes. She's worked mostly as a cinematographer and, and uh, feature-length film. Uh, most of her directing has been in TV. Um, and she's got a great eye, but look, I got to stay on brand. And what I want, I want the Wachowskis to go back to action. And yeah. yes, I know Sense Eight's an action TV show. I know Cloud Atlas is an action movie, technically, but I mean, action movie the way the Matrix films are action films. You know, what I mean, Cloud, Cloud Atlas has got some action beats in it. What about but Jupiter Ascending? You, Jupiter Ascending is. I guess technically an action movie. Look, I, I just I, I want them to get the freedom to do what they want, and I feel like they don't get to do that when they make stuff with Warner Brothers because, look, Jupiter Ascending, not good. Sensei, good. I, I think when they are kind of left to their own devices is when they excel, and when they made the first Matrix film, you know, they really set out a a, a path for themselves kind of – separate from what Warner, Warner Brothers kind of left them alone because they kept the movie under... I mean, they went over budget, but they were able to justify going over budget, so Warner Brothers kept giving them money and kind of stayed out of their hair. Uh, and I just... I want I want that sweet spot back, and I think I think they are at a point in their career where they, they could really use something that gets them back to where, where they're, they're comfortable. Um, you know, bringing those heady ideas and marrying them uh really i mean aeon flux exists in that post matrix tidal wave and i mean it, it is so indebted to that franchise and really it, the whole time i was watching it i was just like man i want to see the wachowskis make something and and i you know they're getting ready to make a uh a uh, sensate finale movie for uh netflix but as far as i know they don't have any other projects in development right now and uh i just i really would love to see them go back to that well. And, and I know that might, for some fans of theirs um, who feel just strongly about their work as I do, that might feel like a step backwards. But I don't know. I think it would kind of recenter their careers. I mean, they're only one of their Gen X or so that couldn't be older than 50. I mean, they've still got a lot of years of making movies ahead of them. And I really would love to see what they do. And I, I think going into this next phase of their career, it might be nice to kind of go back to the drawing board a little bit and make make a $50 million action movie. And obviously $50, $50 million doesn't go as far as it did in 1998 uh, when they were making The Matrix. But I, I think they could really make something really special that would uh, – kind of remind audiences why they fell in love with him in the first place. All righty. I like that pick a lot, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Okay, with my final pick, I have not only a filmmaker, but I have the film. It is the Scarlet Witch standalone movie. It is Scarlet Witch discovering her powers and wrestling with all that stuff and how it's tied to adolescence and sexuality and all that stuff waking up. And these kind of movies are so hard to make. The reason why the X-Men movies have stayed focused in the way they have is because teenagers coming of age and discovering powers are obnoxious and it's really really hard to make that kind of you know mutant academy kind of movie and that's 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 one of the sort of challenges that's built up inside uh doing that kind of work but there is a french filmmaker we're going back to france who is great at teenage who's great at coming of age um i'm talking about Catherine brio and uh, this is the director of Fat Girl, of Romance, of The Sleeping Beauty, of Bluebeard, and I think she would kill it for this film. So I want the Scarlet Witch film directed by Catherine Brio. 
And I think it'd be awesome. I thought you were going Julie DeCarnile. I did too. Yeah, I thought you were going to go with the Julie uh, DeCarnile for she, Raw. She'd be good too, but yeah. yeah. No, no. I, as soon as you said coming of age, yeah, I, I was. my mind was where Arthur's was. But uh, good pick. Good yeah, pick. I think, uh, well, I mean, what she's done so far has been more of that uh, collegiate coming of this. That's true. You know, I'm talking to more that, like, I don't understand what's going on in my body kind of yeah. stuff. Okay. Which works out very, very well with the sort of mutant stuff. Well, I mean, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, she's not a mutant. I'm so sorry. I hate myself right now. I guess technically it can be now that Fox is a... Uh... Under the uh, Disney Well, band. I mean, honestly, this show is going to be owned by Disney at this rate. Hey, I mean, if they're paying me enough. Yeah. They're just going to, you know what, honestly? <laughs> yeah, fuck it, House of Mouse. Give me your money. <laughs> Give me your money to make this weird, mean show. <laughs> so, well, there you go, dear listener. Those are our selections of directors that we'd like to see moving into the action genre. Tell us what you think um, via those magical means of social media already mentioned at the top of the show. But now I think we get here to do what we've been here to do. <laughs> We're going to try. We're going to try. That, Hopefully we'll say it more eloquently than that. Um, <laughs> I doubt it. So <laughs> let's get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh. It's business. It's business time. And now we're here to do the thing that we're here to do, which is to do analysis on... Aeon Flux. Um, okay. Wait, okay. Is MTV still producing films? Is there? St- I know they do like a few TV shows, but are they still? Is there still MTV Studios doing movies? I think so. I honestly have no idea. I feel like I, I forgot all about that being a thing until the credits rolled on this. Yeah, I really like that opening too of uh, all the Moon Men uh, yeah. eating popcorn. Like that was the their thing. I remember that. That was really fun. Yeah, I, I, I think they did the perfect movies. score. I think that was an MTV film starring Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, yeah. Um, they did uh, the Beavis and Butthead do American movie, obviously. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think most of their movies are based <laughs> on. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I think most of their films were based on things that they owned. I don't yeah. know. I think Perfect Score might be kind of a standalone there. I don't – yeah, I don't know if they're still producing I films. I feel like they maybe did a couple of Sandler's films too. I feel like I've seen Or something. the Happy Madison productions. Yeah, but, that might be right actually. But I don't think they've done anything in a long time as a studio. I, I'd have to do more research on that. Um, I mean, I don't see why not. You got the money. Make a damn movie. Come on. What's holding you back, guys? Was this the first narrative for MTV? Like – I, mean, I don't think because it was ninety one, right? I mean, I don't think Flux is that old. I think it was later in the nineties. It's ninety one to ninety five. Yeah, it's early in the nineties. Was it really yeah. early? Yeah, super prescient for like the Matrix. And wow, stuff it was ninety one, ninety five. No kidding. Super prescient. Holy shit, that's yeah. so cool. And so it's a massive influence on the making of the Matrix. For yeah, no sure, kidding. For sure. No but kidding. The, the series is not this film. Well, I know, <laughs> and I know, I knew the animation house that did um, Aeon Flux. I think they do one of the shorts in the Animatrix. I'm pretty sure that mm. would not surprise me um, in any way. i'm almost certain uh, i i don't know for know it for a fact but uh I, i'm pretty sure it's the ones that do the oh gosh it's the short with the little lemur um and uh, the, the, yeah. the the people that have built their the crew that built their own matrix uh that runs on their ship's AI. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's like it's been so long since I've seen it. It's all sort of leaking out of my head right it's now. A good, I'm pretty sure, though, because there's some real... Uh, I've seen enough brief moments of the Anflux, the thing that I recognize the the similarities in art style. There you go. Um, but yeah, I didn't realize 91, 95. That's, wow, way earlier than I thought. Yeah. So you're right. I, well, when was Beavis and Butthead? Because that was narrative-ish. I guess I not know. really, though. It was really more to introduce music videos when it first and started. Episodic stuff when it was finally yeah. going, yeah. Huh. Yeah, well, that's, that'd be early in, in the 
you MTV. know, on-running narrative creation for them, though. Yeah. Wow. But shall we talk adaptation and the problems therein? We can try. Because this is a problematic adaptation. Because Aeon Flux is, um, by all standards, really, really great. Right? It is uh, well-known. It is very well-made. It is uh, very much emphasizing, again, the sort of non-visual storytelling. And there is a weird way. And it's not like a- as though the I ten- think you mean non-auditory. Uh, it's heavily visual. Heavily visual. Did I say non-visual? Yeah, you said non-visual. I, yeah, I meant visual. Heavily visual. Yeah, non. No, it, it's all show, not tell. Yeah, yeah. And you know, ordinarily in these, and I, I'm I'm just sort of amazed at the failure, really, more than anything, because ordinarily in these uh, kinds of adaptations, the problem is there's so much narrative material that you're trying to cram in. Yeah. That you are um, sort of you just can't. Get your, you know, it's like Frank Herbert's Dune. Yeah. Right? There's just so much that novel, there's so much going on that any adaptation is going to be really, really challenging. Yeah. This. Yeah, good luck to Neville New. Godspeed, buddy. This uh, this series, uh, I mean, they, they keep killing Aeon. I mean, every time. They just yeah. keep on killing her because uh, they, uh, the, the showrunner really wanted to move on and do other things yeah. uh, with the series. And MTV's like, no, we want her back, uh, which is fine. Well, and that like just how every episode of season two ends with her getting killed and I, then back like, the next one with no explanation. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, I read that, which is fun that, well, as this film uh, tries to give an explanation to that. Which is a, not a terrible idea, but yeah, no. I mean, it's like like you're saying, there is no narrative, so they're trying to cram more narrative into this thing that doesn't have one, and they just cram too much, honestly. And, well, they cram too much narrative without actually doing it. Well, it also feels like they're probably trying to present this film that to an audience that may have not been familiar with the original Aeon Flux, and so they're trying to, A, build this world, which is a lot of work, as well as introduce a new audience to this world, mm-hmm. which is also a different set of issues, and I think, you know... Had they played it, you know, I assume the people who want to see this film are the people that have seen it. Like, I don't, I mean, it's going to bring in a few extra people, but I feel like this may be like a kind of really could have been a cult film for a certain audience. And I, I really think playing to that would have helped strengthen a lot of those issues. But I feel like they're trying to explain so many things because of this world that's been built in the cartoon that they don't know how to, as, as you know, script writers and things like that don't know how to really put that on screen in a way. That makes sense. I mean, and, and this movie's only now, what, an hour and a half, I think. I mean, yeah. it's a tight 90. Yeah. Um, and to try to build this world, build a character that we're interested in, and then give her an arc that runs in 90 minutes is tough. And and I feel like it may be a studio thing, you know, writing thing, I don't know. Um, but I feel like they just went for the easiest route, and, and it really kills the film. Yeah, I think they were really just trying to sell the name, right? It's like the brand. Everybody loves Aeon Flux. Yeah. It's huge, very, very popular MTV series. And then it just stuck. Yeah. You know? And so that's uh, that's the first thing. It's like it, it's a weird situation in which uh, the normal adaptation problems are not present, and yet they seem to still fall you know, in the same trap of trying to cram way too much exposition into something that actually doesn't have that much to explain. It's that you have you have great freedom to sort of write your own long episode of Aeon Flux. Yeah. And they, I don't know, they get weirdly mytho- mythological with it, and it just it makes it a mess. The other thing I want to mention here is the politics of the film. You know, we've got this sort of uh, resistance cell, and we have this sort of uh, top-down bureaucratic uh, scientific agency that's going on. It's very different from the series itself. In the series, uh, Monica uh, Monicans are from another city 
that is, uh, I guess, like an anarcho-syndicalist. I, I don't know what you describe it as. You know, sort of a much more freedom-loving. Man, I'm but, so glad you know more about this show than I do. <laughs> uh, it's a much more freedom-loving. It's a much more, uh, but it's much less developed also. Mm-hmm. You know, so very second world, thinking East Germany kind of gotcha. uh, situation compared to a very, very glitzy, shiny, um, you know, uh, very capitalist world of Brengen. Words are hard sometimes. Brechna? Brechna. I don't know. I don't know. Made up word. Kraken. And uh, we're just going to say things. And that's the tension there. It's like these sort of different, you know, this authoritarian sort of uh, lifestyle versus something that's a bit more democratic. Now, what's the politics of Aeon Flux is my question. Well, we don't know. And that's part of the problem is we don't really get a clear sense of what – uh, our resistance fighters are fighting against other than um, a surveillance state uh, that disappears people. Yeah. So, and that's bad. Yeah. You obviously, you can't have a surveillance state disappearing people. That's no good. But we don't really. And again, we we get an expedi- exposition dump at the end of the movie from Johnny Lee Miller explaining why he's been uh, disappearing people. Big old spoiler alert. Uh, it turns out that the entire population of Bregna is uh, like seven generations of clones uh, because the humans that survived the plague that wiped out the world uh, were sterile um the cure to the plague made them sterile uh so the five million people that survived the plague um are the same five million people genetically for the last 400 years uh well life found a way as it often does now they're getting pregnant again and johnny lee miller hates it so he's disappearing pregnant women um so the people don't find out that uh we're sterile that we never were sterile and now we're shit that we were sterile and now we're not anymore there we go right um so that's what's happening well but that Aon doesn't know that being cloned himself and being taught no. by himself they're the only two clones you know these two guys well they're they're all they're the only two that know they are clones that know they're clones and so there is a weird sense of immortality yeah because they get all the information from the previous uh, versions of themselves yeah and our resistance fighters don't know this this is a uh, information we as an audience get late in the film so really all we know about the politics of this film is that the bad guys are a surveillance state and the good guys are not, which, you know, in 2005 was pretty topical. Uh, what with uh, the changing nature of police uh, policing in a post 9-11 world. I mean, so there's interesting things to talk about, but it's, the film doesn't really go anywhere with that. And the one place that it does go that is interesting, I think, is the fact that Aeon Flux, Aeon finds herself... Uh, on opposite sides of both the police state and the resistance fighters. And I do appreciate that. I, I like that it goes a third way, right? That um, she realizes that the the figurehead of this police state is, in fact, a good guy. And the police state has kind of gotten away from him and is working against his desires. Uh, and so she refuses the call to assassinate this guy that, uh, spoiler alert again, uh, this is the time at that time of the show, listener, is when I tell you all the things that happen in this movie you're not going to watch. Uh, she it turns out this was her husband back before the war or the plague. Um, so before we got to post-apocalypse times, these two were together and a romantic, uh, for all intents and purposes, as far as we know, a healthy functioning relationship before she died. Or the humans from whom they were cloned anyway. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so she feels this, uh, connection to him, doesn't assassinate him, learns why she's connected to him and learns what he's trying to do and refuses the call from her, uh, handler played by the wasted, as we mentioned, Francis McDormand. And uh, says, I'm not going to do that, and I'm going to do my own thing, and you guys really should stop not listening to me. And I, I like that. I like where it goes with her friend, whose name I forget, the, the lady with uh, uh, feet for hands, hands for feet. Um, Siddhartha. No, it wasn't, was it Siddhartha? Something similar. Sithandra. Sithandra. Yeah, yeah. I was like, Sith- Siddhartha's Buddha. Yeah, I, I know. That's why I was like, surely it wasn't that. <laughs> Sithandra. <laughs> Sithandra, yeah, is uh, 
going to lead this hit team to kill Charlize Theron at the end and ends up also having a, a heel face turn. It's a fun moment, honestly. It's it's the moment where the politics of the movie make the most sense for me is, is the moment that says, no, we're supposed to be the good guys. We can't run around assassinating people all the time. That's not always how this is supposed to work. We're supposed to reveal information. Um, so we like that aspect of this film's politics. It's It's feelings on the nature of violence and political revolution. I, th- I think there are interesting things working there. It's just n- never really coalesces into anything. Yeah, there, there's a potentiality because I think there is an interesting conversation to be had. Okay, police state, you know, you have this police repression going on and people are being disappeared. And so we have questions of using violence in order to overthrow something as clearly oppressive. Okay, I'm all in. Yeah. Except for we never really delve down and talk into it and, and it ends up being well it turns out that the uh, liberators are kind of punks and the uh, bad guys aren't so bad after all and i'm just like oh, man well i think we find out that the bad guys are as bad as we think they are it's just that there are people working within a uh, a corrupt system that are not uh that have their hearts in the right place and maybe they shouldn't be you know summarily shot also that would work better if it wasn't the figurehead for the baddies yeah and that's there's something weird going on with this film that the figurehead like we don't understand enough about how the society works yeah because how how is it functioning that the figurehead for these baddies is being completely circumvented by his brother um that seems like there should probably be systems in place to keep that kind of shit from happening um, Especially it, in an authoritarian system. Yeah, and it just makes the components of the film not fit together very well. Um, when we have these, again, I don't need to understand like the fucking parliamentary process for this this city state. Yeah, I don't I, need to read their constitution, but I need to understand like how it functions at least so I know how old, old yeah. Marty um, let let this entire you know the last city on earth get away from him, and you know. Uh, why he isn't continue to let his brother convince him that the best thing for them to do is lie to people about what happens when they die, which is they get cloned into new people, which again, maybe we'll talk about that in a second. That's a fun idea. It is. Uh, the last thing I'd say about this before we move on to another thing that I want to think about is just simply this. Um, if you're going to have a supervillain in your story, even if you're going to have a turn, you cannot call your supervillain Trevor. It's just mm-hmm. not a... It no. just, no. No. And that, that goes all the way back to the source material, but I'm like, no, that doesn't oh, work. Oh, his name was Trevor in that, too? Yeah. It's a bad name. It's always Trevor. Bad name for bad guy. Yeah, Trevor. Yeah, Oren the bad guy. Oren, great. I can get behind yeah. that. But Trevor the bad guy. Trevor Trevor the evil, maniacal, you know, uh, Machiavellian monster. What are the names of the characters in this this script you're trying to sell us? Well, we've got a character named Aeon or Aeon. We're going to just kind of let characters say it however they want. Uh, <laughs> then we've got Una, and then we've got Oren, and we've got the Handler, and Sathandra. And Trevor. And Trevor. And also Trevor. And also Trevor is here, too. Trevor is the villain. Yeah. What the fuck is happening? No, no. Trevor is the gardener who helps her in the last moment yeah. of the movie, right? Not, <laughs> not the villain. Just, what have you done? Yeah, it's movie? a bad choice. Uh, and you're right. That comes from the source material, apparently. Yeah, it comes from the source material. So it's not it's not anybody's fault on that one. But oh. it's like, yeah. All right. So here is the other thing that I was trying to, as I was struggling to come up with things that we might talk about uh, for this film. And I and it is, it's sort of Edgar Cayce meets uh, just standard, standard spiritualism, the idea of transmigration of the soul and the existence of the human soul. That the film does sort of wrestle with some of this, that there is... Oh, this is the thing that I want to talk about. Yeah, there, there's something of the self that continues from clone version to clone no. version. And uh, I guess the science in this sort of idea is simply that we reconstitute ourselves with every 7 to 14 years. Mm-hmm. Human beings, we are not the 
the same material composition that we once were, that all the material that makes us up, the, the individual atoms that construct the cells, that construct the organs, that construct the systems, that construct the person, that is – it's all new stuff. And so that uh, we are not materially the same person that we were, and yet we remain – we were, we, identity continues on, right? It's the idea that Star Trek could possibly work, that you actually could take the molecules of somebody else and scramble them and move them and reassemble them somewhere else, and you would not have some different person or a mindless zombie, but that somehow the humanity, the uh, the personhood, the self would continue to transfer on. And this is sort of the uh, science of the soul, right? And here it is weirdly uh, a mixture of reincarnation and also sort of like uh again sort of like soul memory uh that's going on in the film um that's interesting but i don't know other than i wish they spent more time with it like okay can we wrestle with that because that's a cool idea it's a great idea what what does it mean for these clones especially the clones of trevor and Orin, that they're raised by their you know their genetic templates um, are they the same persons? Was Orin always going to break bad? It just took 700 years or 400 years for it to happen. Um, was Aeon always going to find her way back to Trevor or, or find their, were they going to, the two of them going to find their ways back to each other, I guess would be a more accurate way to put it. Um, yeah, those are really interesting ideas and the film doesn't do anything with them. Yeah. I, I, it, it just, I think we talked about this maybe with uh, what happened on Monday Yeah, uh, where it, it sets oh, yeah. up a lot of really interesting premises, but it keeps cutting them out from under its, its feet before they gain any momentum. I think the cloning part of this is the most, when, when we get that reveal that the sister's been, cl- you know, killed to be cloned or whatever, right? It's a great, it's, it's a great, it's twist. a great twist. Yeah. yeah. When she goes, where's my sister? And Oh, it's that baby. Yeah. That's a, it's a, fucking, that's fascinating. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it just doesn't go anywhere, but I, th- I think it is interesting. I think it, that to, to contemplate those concepts of cloning, especially at this, you know, 2005 cloning is kind of coming out of, you know, late nineties, early two thousand. The shape has just happened. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what? 98. Something like that. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Uh, and so I think it's, you know, definitely in the, in the, Social consciousness at the time sure, a, big, sure. a big thing, uh, and just to not go anywhere with it really feels you know it's, it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, it's a big disservice to the film and to the audience. I think. Yeah, and, and I mean there is an interesting question that is raised. You know that if you clone a human being. Does yeah. that person have a soul? Is that person a person? This is where we get into that great Blade Runner territory, right? Where yeah. we have those really, really interesting kind of discussions. And this just simply says there are still people, and maybe they were still sort of kind of who they used to be, but not really. You know, Aeon's not really Catherine, uh, the woman who was married to, you know, Trevor, you know, I don't know. Beta, you know, <laughs> however we're going to number the versions of Mr. Goodchild there. Th- that's a cool idea, but what happens after that? You know, yeah. again, what's going on with this? And and is there a sense in which, you know, uh, the personhood, uh, I mean, as they begin to actually breed properly or breed in the traditional sense, what ends up happening with uh, soul stuff there? I mean, there's all kinds of really, really interesting uh, high science fiction to deal with here, but Nothing comes of it in the course of this particular film. So, um, all right, well, that's all the sort of stuff I had to bring to bear on Aeon. Is there anything else that is burning in any of your minds? Uh, the only thing I can that, that comes to mind for me is, and it's pretty standard both for this time period and really for the stories we tell each other, just kind of in general, um, 
but I mean, it, it, the idea gets name checked by uh, Charlize Theron in voiceover early in the film. You know, the freedom versus uh, security, um, and how those two things will always tend to butt heads when it comes to organized society. Um, th- there is a, a moment that gets get some real transcendental type shit at the end of the movie. Um, some real, you know. Uh, Thoreau type stuff where the wall between them and the outside world that has you know the planet has been allowed to go on just doing whatever it wants to for the last 400 years outside of the walls of the city uh, and they realize the best path for humanity is to just go ahead and spread back out again Um, and, and there's something to that I think there's interesting that you know when we organize societies there has to be an exit option right if there's anybody that wants out that needs to be their call because it was their parents call and their parents call and their parents call to be part of the society if anybody decides they want want an exit ticket they should be allowed to have one uh, we can't just tell people well you can't go out there it's dangerous well i want to well you can't it's dangerous but i want to and if you're going to restrict what people do and do not want to do on the basis of protecting them you've got to have a pretty good reason for doing that and there have to be good mechanisms in place um, and i think that's the, one of the only other things that this film does is once a system becomes so uh insular insular that it, it prevents any permutation one way or the other inside or out then that's time for that system to stop being a thing and it's time to make a new thing uh, and, and that is something that i find interesting that that's where the film chooses to end is saying the best thing for people to do is just not live in the city anymore even though they probably could and yeah. i think that's an interesting choice yeah and it does sort of have this sort of adam and eve kind of feeling going oh on for sure it, oh know? yeah no yeah. absolutely um so well there you go there's not, yeah I was say, there's not much to that idea i yeah, just kind of it'd be nice yeah it's nice that the it. film brings it up yeah i just yeah give me more meat it's all it's all bones no meat yeah so uh, well there you go dear listener i think we're going to come to the part of the show where we render a verdict and we're not going to shock anybody arthur go ahead and say the thing Trash. It's it's not worth your time. It's not worth your energy. Um, these ideas have been toyed with and fleshed out in multiple movies. I'm sure you're about to find out all of them uh, over the next couple of minutes. But uh, I, I think for my insteads, uh, definitely insteads on this, um, I want to say Hunger Games. I think it would be a fun one to, to kind of yeah. kick off with. I think that's uh, obviously playing with some of the same ideas. Um, I, I, I want to say Moon. Uh, you want to talk about cloning and you want to talk about those kind of, you know, delving into that and what that looks like. I, I think that's a huge, uh, a huge one. The moon's a great movie. It's well put together and Sam Rockwell's money. Uh, so check that out. And then finally, I'm going to say Speed Racer. Uh, if, if you want to see a couple of uh, awesome directors have some fun with a uh, live ap- adaptation of an anime, uh, check out Speed Racer because it is it is aces. Uh, it's straight fire. I, I love it. And uh, go check it out because it is a good time. You too love that movie, and I love how much you love it. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Donald Stewart, say the thing, and then the Ellis's, or instead's. Yeah, it's it's going to be a trash for me, too. It's just, there's better movies. There's better Karen Kusama movies. Which one should you watch? The Invitation. Obviously, it's fucking awesome. No, you watch, so- you watch Jennifer's Body. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, too. Um, I, like I can't recommend Girl Fight just because I haven't seen it. I but uh, I am going to recommend Same. The Invitation. That's my, my pick. For, oh, it's good. It's so great. Uh, it it's on netflix still i think uh, i'm pretty sure they still have the rights to it it's it's just a gr- i don't want to tell you anything about it honestly it's yeah. a spooky dinner party movie that's all you need to know uh but it's absolutely fantastic uh it's got a great cast i think you're gonna love it a lot yeah. listener i really do uh and and that's the that's the better film to watch honestly if you want to get a feel for what karen kusama is about you need to watch the invitation you don't need to watch am flux do you want to see Charlize theron uh just absolutely whip shit and just do cool stuff me too all the time go watch atomic blonde it's better the fights are better 
Uh, it also has a nearly incomprehensible story, uh, but that's kind of part of its charm. And it's got better music, and um, it it's doesn't have as good of a color palette, honestly. But it's visually got a, just a lot going on. Yeah. The color palette's way more washed out, so your your mileage might vary. I like it. Um, but it's just got about two of the best fight scenes of the last five years. I mean, that stairway fight, guys. The that, theater. Oh, my God. It's so good. Yeah. It's so so good. Yeah, big fan of Atomic uh, Blonde. Actually, looking forward to watching it again. Uh, finally, if you want a bad uh, late 90s, early aughts uh, sci-fi action film, there's a better one than Aeon Flux. If you're wanting something kind of bad and trashy, go watch Equilibrium, Dustin's favorite movie. Uh, star- starring Tay Diggs and Christian Bale. You know what? It might be better than this. It is. That's the thing. Yeah, like, I think it's better e- than Equilibrium this. is yeah. not good. It, its ideas are just as much all bones, no meat as this movie is, but at least it's got that dope gun kata in it. Yeah. That's I mean, say mm-hmm. what you will, it's not a good movie, but it's a lot more fun to watch. And I think it has a better handle on its bare bones themes. Yeah. I think wh- while, yes, it is just 1984. It, no, actually, it's just Fahrenheit 451, yeah. but with guns instead of fire. Yeah. That is what equilibrium is. Yeah. But it's got a better handle on that than what Aeon Flux. Aeon Flux has talked about clones and the soul and, um, you know, freedom versus security and all of these things that don't really coalesce. Equilibrium is just Fahrenheit 451. And honestly, in, in a little brave new world, too. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's just, it works better, even though, again, it's probably about as good of a movie. It's way more entertaining, and it's going to give you that sweet, sweet uh, fast food hit that is a good kind of bad action movie. Um, and I really want to revisit it because uh, I liked it a lot more uh, when we talked about it on the show like five years ago. Uh, but I would like to revisit it to see how strongly I feel about it because there's some moments in that movie that really that really do it for me. Um, Not Without Incident is, is a great is, oof, oof, good moment for Christian Bale in that movie. Um yeah, I know Dustin hates this movie so much. I love how much he hates it. Um, so yeah, that's 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 what you're going to go watch. You're going to watch Invitation. You're going to watch Tom Blonde. You're going to watch Equilibrium. You, and all of those are just going to give you a much better time than Aeon Flux. And even with Equilibrium, probably give you more to talk about. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dollarsford. I'm also saying trash. Uh, the choices of show for trash. And if you want to look at a visually arresting, high-concept action science fiction I think you look at one of the films we looked at last year. We look at The Cell, and I think it's a, a much better replacement. I thought about that a couple of times. You know, uh, it's a better movie, yeah. yeah, in many, many ways. And so you take a and look, it's equally messy. It is messy, but it's. I, I think uh, its its charms are able to outweigh the mess. And I think that's that's what bothered me with Aeon Flux. Like I was hoping it was going to be a hidden gem, and we were going to sing the praises of how this is an undersung. Like this should be a cult hit, and it's not for bad reasons. No, it actually it 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 kind of got forgotten about because it's not good. And that's yeah. unfortunate because the cell got forgotten about for dumb reasons. It actually is super fun, way better than it, it's getting credit for. But if you want to think about uh, the sort of idea of infertility meets uh, authoritarian fascistic government and how a person is going to have to live, then Children of Men, which uh, recently in our Good Trash poll came up as something we're going to have to do in the future, which I'm not mad about no, at yeah, all. Not at all. And this is, yeah, very much, I mean, weirdly, it feels like Children of Men. In fact, Trevor very much feels like Clive Owen at times and uh, the infertility plot and all that sort of stuff. It just, it, it seems like the very natural replacement um, that is a high 
high quality film um, that you would definitely spend a much better time watching. So there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got longer. Those are the options that we offer to replace one Aeon Flux or watch the TV series, which is the last thing I guess I'd say. The TV series is pretty dope, and uh, it definitely would be worth your time. So, without any further ado, uh, we do have another movie to watch again next week. Arthur, what is that movie? We're going to go back to 89? Is that right? Ooh, 87. Might even, yeah, it might 87? be earlier than that. Yeah, 87? Maybe. Okay. Uh, we're going to oh, oh, have some fun with uh, Miss Winona Ryder as we watch Heathers. Yes. I'm so, I'm uh, so excited. And I think we may be joined by a special guest, so we uh, may you very, may be tuned in to find out about that. We very well may be having a very special guest uh, member of the Good Trash Media family on that show, so that'll be fun. Um, when was the last time you guys watched Heather's? It was 88, by the way. I've so. never seen it. Oh, well, we split the difference. You split we? the difference. Yeah, it was 88. Wow, you've never seen I've it. I've never seen it. Um, look, I'm going to go ahead and say it's this. It's been 10 years. It's good. There's going to be a lot to unpack. Uh, we are right now in the aftermath of yet another fucking school shooting. Um, this is a film about violence in high schools, so there's going to be a lot to unpack with that. Um, is it too soon to watch Heathers? No, actually, I think it's probably the exact right time to watch Heathers because there's a lot of things that we need to talk about. Um, so I, I felt like the need to address that issue. We decided yeah, to watch yeah, Heathers we, we, months ago. Yeah. But, yeah, we didn't choose to watch Happenstance. Heathers. It is Happenstance. We're not going to mess with the production schedule because, honestly, it's it's going to be a good thing to talk about. I think it'll be probably cathartic for us, and maybe, hopefully, we'll, I don't know, maybe we'll we'll get at something that uh, will make you feel better. Uh, we hope. We always want yeah. to. This is what the show is for, is make you feel better. It's not I was going to say, well, it will have been a couple of weeks, but, it's, you know, we average about a school shooting a week anyways. Just, oh, seriously. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, be nice to each other, guys. Uh, go, hug, go hug your friends. Uh, call your parents. Tell them you love them. Uh, I don't know. Do something nice for somebody today. So uh, there you go. Do that and then watch some movies and have some conversations because that is what we're all about doing. Uh, So you keep watching. We'll keep talking and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Trash Genrecast brought to you by the Good Trash Media Network. For all things Good Trash, go to GoodTrashMedia.com. Our intro music is a supercut of music from the Wonder Woman soundtrack by Tom Zimmer and Junkie Cell, with also some great movie clips cut in by one Mr. Arthur Gordon. And our outro music is These Boots Are Made For Walking by Nancy Sinatra. These boots are made for walking And that's just what they'll do One of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you